You are listening to the official podcast of First Baptist Church of Cape Girardeau. We are a community of faith, hope, and love located in Southeast Missouri. For more information, visit our website at fbccape.com. Our scripture comes from 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through 14. Now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take your master away from you? And he said, Yes, I know. Keep silent. Elijah said to him, Elisha, stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The company of prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take your master away from you? And he answered, Yes, I know. Be silent. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the company of prophets also went and stood at some distance from them as they both were standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah took his mantle and rolled it up and struck the water. The water was parted to one side and to the other until the two of them crossed on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me what I may do for you before I am taken from you. Elisha said, please let me inherit a double share of your spirit. He responded, you have asked a hard thing. If you see me as I am being taken away from you, it will be granted you. If not, it will not. As they continued walking and talking, a chariot of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah ascended in in a whirlwind into heaven. Elisha kept watching and crying out, Father, Father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. But when he could no longer see him, He grasped his own clothes and tore them into two pieces. He picked up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. He took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? When he had struck the water, the water was parted to one side and to the other, and Elisha went over. This is the word of the Lord. I heard a story recently about a preacher who was a bit of a fraud. See, everybody loved his sermons, but what nobody knew was that actually his staff assistant wrote his sermons. Finally, one week, his assistant's patience ran out, and one Sunday, the preacher was standing in front of a congregation of thousands. And at the bottom of page two, it read, And this, my friends, takes us to the very heart of the message of the book of Habakkuk. He turned to page 3, and on page 3 were written the words, You're on your own now, pal. (laughs) 
When we experience transitions in our lives, it can sometimes feel that way, can't it? When you graduate high school, and that first moment when you find yourself alone in your dorm room or your apartment, and you think, well, you're on your own now. When you have your first child, and that moment when the new grandparents drive away, you and your spouse look at this baby, and you stare at each other, and you say, well, you're on your own now. Maybe you have had somebody in your life that you've loved. And maybe through either death or a breakup or divorce, one day you find yourself with the realization, I guess I'm on my own now. Well, let me address the elephant in the room Every once in a while, God works some odd little sign in my life. You see, I planned my sermons months in advance. And I had committed myself during the summer to preach through what are called the lectionary texts. This is a, a rhythm of scripture that's been set for decades and decades and decades. And I just happened to look up the Old Testament text that was assigned for today... And it happened to be that the Sunday after it was announced to you all that I'm leaving is a story about Elijah leaving. I did not choose this passage for today. This passage chose me. So I don't want you to think, first of all, that I'm arrogant enough to cast myself in the role of Elijah. And I will not be carried off in a whirlwind... Besides, I think you're more likely to find a whirlwind here in Missouri than in North Carolina. But I do think that God has something to say to us through this text this morning. Because I know that there are some of you who might be thinking, you're on your own now. I would have reckoned that that's exactly what Elisha is feeling as he watches his mentor Elijah be taken up in a whirlwind. Well, Elisha, you're on your own now. And it's not just Elisha that feels that way. The whole nation of Israel feels that way. That's because the prophet Elijah has been such an enigmatic prophet. This is the guy who predicted a drought. The guy who miraculously fed a starving widow. Who brought her son back from the dead. Who challenged the evil king Ahab. Who dueled with the prophets of Baal. And who spoke with God himself on Mount Horeb. Elijah has been this charismatic and visionary leader. And now Elisha learns He's going to be taken up in a whirlwind. That's how the passage starts. And the writer tells us that everybody knew that already. Everybody knows it. Everybody knows. This company of prophets knows it. It's like a, <clears throat> a Baptist church where everybody already knows it before it gets announced. <laughs> Hypothetically speaking. And we read that there is this company of prophets. This is likely a, a group of prophets that's been following Elijah and regards him as their master. 
And we know from 1 Kings chapter 19 that Elijah has already named Elisha as his successor. And now they know that Elijah is leaving. These prophets are feeling some anxiety about this leadership transition. So Elijah and Elisha embark on a farewell tour. They travel to the lands of of Gilgal and Bethel and Jericho and to the river Jordan. Interestingly, Elijah wants to go on this tour alone. But Elisha insists on coming with him. Maybe Elisha wants to soak up all the time that he still has with Elijah before it's too late. And at each place that Elijah and Elisha go to, the company of prophets sidles up to Elisha and says, "Um, Have you heard that Elijah is leaving? And Elisha says, Yes, I know that. Thank you. Shut up. This company of prophets is looking to Elisha for some kind of of reassurance. They want to know if the prophetic ministry of Elijah is going to continue. They want to know that they still have a leader, that they still have a vision, that they still have a clear sense of mission about what God has called them to do. And you can almost hear the anxiety In Elisha's voice, he tells the company of prophets, Yes, I know he's leaving, and I am scared too. Elisha follows Elisha on his farewell tour, and they end up on the banks of the Jordan River. Now here's what's fascinating about this. As they're standing on the banks of the river Jordan, they are standing on the side of the land that is settled land, that's governed by a king. And if they cross the Jordan, suddenly they will enter into the unpredictable land of the wilderness. Crossing over the Jordan represents moving from what is known and what is comfortable to what is wild and cagey and uncomfortable. So Elijah picks up his mantle. Most likely this is some kind of cloak or or outer garment that he would wear. Maybe his uniform as a prophet. He picks up this mantle and he touches the river, and the water separates. And Elijah and Elisha take a stroll across the riverbed. Doesn't that remind you of the people of Israel and Moses crossing the Red Sea? Clearly, we're meant to allow our minds to to wander back to that story. as if the author here is saying the same God who was with the Israelites when they came out of slavery in Egypt, that same God is just as present here with this people in this day and in this age. So they cross the river and most likely they both know exactly what is about to happen. 
Maybe they're trying to think of how to say goodbye to one another. We men are not very good at these moments. We sort of fumble with what to do or what to say. They probably talked about the weather. And when they finally cross over, Elijah turns to Elisha and asks, Tell me what I may do for you before I am taken from you. Elisha said, Please, let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. Elijah responds, You have asked a hard thing, yet if you see me being taken away from you, it will be granted to you. If not, it will not. Elijah is a little taken aback when Elisha asked for a double portion of his spirit. The phrase double share or double portion in Hebrew usually refers to something quantifiable, like inheritance money that is given to a son by a father. But Elisha has dared to ask for something that cannot be measured, cannot be quantified, and cannot be easily given. He asked for a double portion of Elijah's spirit, his ruach in Hebrew. And Elijah doesn't necessarily reassure Elisha. He says to him, well, if you can see me leave, it'll be yours. If you don't see me leave, I guess you're out of luck. Why that stipulation, do you wonder? Well, we can only guess, but I think this is what is happening. See, in the Bible, seeing is almost always a metaphor for understanding. I wonder, I wonder if what Elijah is saying here is that it is only when Elisha truly comes to grips with the fact that he is leaving, it is only when Elisha is willing to look the reality in the full face that he can see the future. We don't always do this well, by the way. We are not always willing to look transitions square in the face and acknowledge that they are happening. One of the new trends our culture is the way that we talk about when people have passed away. And I might be stepping on some toes, including my own this morning, but we no longer call them funerals. We call them celebrations of life. And we hear people say things at these services like, Aunt so-and-so would not want us to be sad today. I sometimes wonder if we have just a little diluted what that moment is supposed to be. We're trying to turn it into a, a feel-good moment when it is supposed to be a moment when we stare loss and transition in the face and we acknowledge that change is heartbreaking. 
And please don't get me wrong, I know that many of you have honored your loved ones with a celebration of life service, and I want to affirm the love that you have showed to them. But I also think we need to be careful that we don't just sweep under the rug the feelings of loss. Maybe we need a funeral. Maybe we need to just sit with the loss in order to truly see what's ahead of us. Maybe we need that in order to know how to move forward. Well, Elisha does see Elijah being taken away. And contrary to the way that this is usually depicted, Elijah does not ride in the chariot of fire up to the skies. I so wanted, by the way, to make like a, a, an Eric Lydell joke and do the chariots of fire music, but I'm, no one else would get that. You know, the older folks might, but uh, that's it. The chariot of fire swoops down and it separates them. It separates the one who is staying on earth and the one who is heading up to heaven. The one who is left with prophetic responsibility, and the one who is being taken up to the realm of the divine. And Elisha watches as Elijah, his master, his teacher, his friend, is taken up in a whirlwind. And I have to believe that Elisha looks up at the sky as that last bit of fire disappears and says to himself, well, you're on your own now. And amidst all the hubbub of the chariots and the tornado, Elijah has dropped something. Elijah has dropped his cloak, his mantle. Elisha goes to pick it up. He looks up at the skies and he cries, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And then he takes the mantle and he strikes the waters, maybe in frustration. But then the waters part. So Elisha walks across. He is crossing over. He has moved from student to teacher, from mentee to mentor. The Padawan has now become the master. And in verse 15 of 2 Kings chapter 2, we read this. When the company of prophets who were at Jericho saw him at a distance, they declared... The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. They came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. The same spirit, the same Ruach, the same God who is present with Elijah is present with Elisha. I like to imagine what this story would have sounded like to the early Christians. These are the people who spent time with Jesus, who were disciples of Jesus. They watch Him be crucified, and they encounter Him as the resurrected one. And then one day they watch Him ascend into the sky. 
And I imagine that they too felt like, well, I guess we're on our own now. But they are not on their own. In the Gospel of John, Jesus gives them this promise. If you love me, you will, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the Holy Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him because he abides with you, and he will be in you. I will not leave you orphaned. I am coming to you. Jesus promises, I will not leave you orphaned. Just like Elisha was given a double portion of Elijah's spirit, the church is given a double portion of the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ. Here is what Jesus is saying to us. You are not on your own. You are not on your own. I will not leave you orphaned. The same spirit that was with Elijah is now with Elisha. The same spirit that was with Jesus Christ is now with the church. It is the presence of God that serves as our constant in the midst of life's many transitions. You are not on your own. Elisha continued the work of Elijah in Israel, just like you and I, friends, are to continue the work of Jesus Christ in the world. The Italian composer Giacomo Puccini wrote a number of famous operas during his lifetime. In 1922, he was diagnosed with cancer, and he was working on an opera called Turendo. Puccini was also a teacher, and he said to his students when he told them of his diagnosis, if I don't finish Turendo, I want you to finish it for me. And shortly afterward, he died. Puccini's students studied the opera carefully, and they soon completed it. And they premiered it for the world in 1926. It was performed in Milan with Puccini's favorite student, Arturio Tosconi, directing. Everything was going beautifully until the opera reached the point where Puccini had been forced to stop composing because of his illness. Tears ran down his student's face as he stopped the music and he turned to the audience and he said, Thus far, the master wrote, but he left us. And a vast silence filled the opera house. Then Toscani smiled through the tears and he shouted, but his disciples will finish this work. Then Turandot ended, 
and the audience broke into thunderous applause. You are not on your own, and we have work to do, because the same Spirit that is with Jesus Christ is with us, friends. You are not on your own. Pray with me. God, we are so thankful for the gift of the Holy Spirit. That we do not have to rely on ourselves or our time or our circumstances. We rely on you. You are with us on the heights of the mountains and in the depths of the valleys. Throughout all of life's transitions, you are with us. The same spirit that was with Elijah is with Elisha. The same spirit that was with Jesus, you have given to us. In the midst of transitions, God, help us to remember that, to know that, and to cling to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.